The future is now. Finding the NOSO has never been easier. Subscribe to us on our new YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and bookmark the new home for No Holds Barred, The Jenny Position, Wrestling War Zone, and all your favorite NOSO podcasts at NorthSouthConnection.com. It's New Year, New NOSO, NorthSouthConnection.com. Step, try this on for size. It's pop. It tastes great. It makes you feel kind of funny. Not here, not down there, but all up in this area. Talking pop. Smith. This is episode 127 of the Jenny Position. Thanks again for checking it out here on Wednesdays on the North-South Connection. Speaking of the North-South Connection, today we're going to do a flashing back episode with an interview for one of the no-so OGs, Aaron George. If you're not an Aaron George fan, then what's wrong with you, but you should be. And uh, if you are, you will love this interview. It's very fun. Talks about his career, his family, his background, and uh, how much he hates cats and loves killing them. So here we go. Let's do flashing back with Aaron George on Talking Pops. I want to tell you all about what I just witnessed when I was in there giving my cats some treats because they are petty little bitches, the one is, and if I accidentally give one, like, four more than the other, she will switch piles and go and steal from the other one. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, why do you gotta be like that, Libby? Well, Aaron, you also hate cats. You kill them? Surprise. No, I, I love cats. I love cats. <laughs> I have, I had three. I, I have killed all of them, but not... <laughs> oh, okay. Not because I, mean, I didn't out of love club, them. Though. <laughs> yeah, it was a mercy kill situation. Oh, I see. Yeah, I didn't... Necessary. No, I mean, look, I still ate them, but like, you know, <laughs> you want to honor the body, right? Right. By eating it? That's one way to honor it. Sure. Like, okay. What are you going to suggest? <laughs> what, was, what was the next thing out of your mouth? And the sad part is, I know what it was. <laughs> I know you know what it was. Are we really going to have two episodes in a row with a trigger warning now? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they should just all come with trigger warnings. All yeah, right. the show itself is kind of a content slash trigger warning. Mm, true. Mm. Aaron right. George, you are our guest. Thank you for being our first interview back. Oh yeah, no. you're the first back since our return. Well, I feel How good about, about that, that then. Do you feel good? I mean, maybe we'll see if that continues throughout the episode. Yeah, that'll change. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, questions that I've always wondered about Aaron George. Might as well just get right into it. You ready? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we've One talked question. a billion times. Why do you not ask these questions before? I, yeah, I mean, our conversations, you know. It's, to, to back up a minute, I feel like you did a reverse talking pop with, with Jenny on that one. Uh, uh, was it uh, Montreal to Memphis? Yeah, that's right. Connection? That's right. It was like Jenny was on. Right. I'm not sure if there was even a topic, but it felt more like a, a reverse talking pop. So you got to know Jenny, and now the tables have turned. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gonna make it All that right. way. All right. No, I've always wondered about your acting career because okay. I think that's cool. And how did you start doing that? Why did you want to start that? So I'm in high school, and I, you know, I, there's this girl that's like this. Mm. She she looks like a Barbie doll, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I I really hated her. Like of I really course. just I really yeah. like did not like her at all. And and then she said, she made this fucking comment that she said, I'm the, she's like, I'm the best actor in the school. And I had never really been in anything, but I was like, that's nonsense. I'm the best actor in the school. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I kind of joined the play out of spite um, and ended up loving it. And then I dated her. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. But here, here's the deal. Like, um, so. I, I was dating. not expecting that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great she had, well, she had this smell, like, and this is the problem. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, like, I, like, I, I know you, you. I've heard talk about Smell Club and shit like that, but that's not what this is. Like, I'm very particular to smells of people. Okay. Like, I've I've broken off relationships because I don't like the odor, and it's not like a bo because that would be an obvious one. It's like, no, no, this is your, pheromones? this is your, yeah, your musk or pheromones. Oh man. Um, that like I'm just having none of. So I start dating her. I didn't, you know, I, you know, you, you get close to her and you start smelling her, right? So um after a week, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I I, I don't want this anymore. And but then her parents wanted to meet me, so they wanted to take me to a steakhouse mm-hmm. and this really expensive steakhouse. I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna stay in this thing, at least to go to the steakhouse. The fucking steakhouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we're making out too. It's not like it's bad, right? It's just the smell's getting to me. And mm-hmm. So I go to the steakhouse after week two, and then I figure I have to put a third week in. So after week three, I broke it off. So that was my first play. Did you tell her it was because of the smell, or did you just say, I don't want to see you more? I didn't. I I figured the smell. I'm not a good. I've never stayed friends with any ex. It's always (laughs) been a a horrible scorched earth situation. So um, no. Even after three weeks. (laughs) Just like. I did, I did, I did make out with her a few more times when we were in theater school together. That's a whole other story. Uh, but, um, yeah. And she's bad. She's not a good actor. She's really not a good actor. So and that hurts too. That's bad too, actually. That's another problem. How is that a problem? That she well, was look, dishonest and knew it? Or did you just <laughs> think she was in denial about her lack of acting talent? It's got, you know, it, it's funny. It has nothing. To, I'm dated dishonest. Dishonest is fine. You know, <laughs> that's okay. fine. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more like, like, this is what I do. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so like, if you're bad at it, I, I can't really respect you mm-hmm. on that level. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes a major turnoff. All right. So back it up. Like what about it? Like you said, you joined the play out of spite. 
Yeah. You, you were the best actor somehow. Did the well, spite fuel you or? Spite is always fueling me. <laughs> is this, you know. okay, is this in, in Montreal, by the way? This is. Yeah. It's on the south shore of Montreal, which isn't south, okay. it's east. I know that's confusing. <laughs> no, I, here's the thing. Like, I was thinking about the, just the geography of Canada today and, and realizing how little I know about the geography of Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because for some reason I was thinking um, Quebec is more like s- central, more like, I don't know, where Ontario is for some reason. Like, I had them I- flip-flopped. And well, I'm like, oh no, it's really quite east, and you're like in the same time zone as the east coast of the United States. And I'm like, this is really yeah. melting my brain. You ready to have your brain melted even more? So is yes. like all of Ontario. That see that that can't work. <laughs> it can't be. Um, although, like in the in the far west of Ontario, because here's the thing to understand about Canada is everything's really big. Like, yeah. like Quebec is like. You know, I guess your biggest state is probably Texas, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I think Quebec is like three times the size of it, kind of thing. Ooh, okay. And like, yeah. And I mean, it, everything's big like that, right? So if you like, for instance, to drive from here to the edge of um, Ontario is probably twenty-four hours, like full driving. And I know it because mm-hmm. we did it straight one time. Wow. We were on tour doing yeah. some bullshit, and we drove it. In a, in a broken down school bus. Anyway, um, but <laughs> that we painted purple with rollers. Uh, so, um, yeah. Well, so it's, it's, I mean, when you look at a globe, like, I mean, Canada, it's so far north. It's like the curvature kind of smashes everything together, together once you get up, you know, out of that sort of central region of the globe. And you're like, you lose, you just lose complete perspective on how anything relates to oh, yeah. anything. Well, the culture shock for me when I go to the States is how, how close the cities are together. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, what, what is New York to Philly? Is that like like three hours kind of thing? Oh, sounds right. <laughs> well, everything up there is all smushed together. Yeah, right. especially Northeast. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, even like in, in larger states, larger cities where it's not quite as populated, um, you know, like where Jenny and I live thereabouts um things are still relatively close to each other you know like you're not doing a a ton of driving um you know unless you're crossing state lines really now jenny you've got a much worse traffic situation than i do but that's the (sighs) other story (laughs) fucking do fucking hate traffic in florida anyway so the acting (laughs) the acting yeah, okay. So I did this school play. This was in grade 10. I did that. And then in grade 11, I, I went out for the plays for the because I, I replaced someone in the one that she was in. Mm-hmm. Then they quit. And um, and then in the grade 11, I went out for the school plays again. And I nabbed, I, I ended up being like the lead actor in them. And this was something that I was good at. Like, and my plan at that point was so I was really, at the time, I was really high up in refereeing hockey. Mm hmm. Like uh, high up enough that I was scouted and like there was a chance that I was if I'd continued it, it was going to become a thing. Right. Like because I was really young when I started. So that was a career path. And then um, I also when I graduated high school, I got into police like I applied to be a police officer also. Really? Yeah. And I got into that, too. And then I got into theater school. And I chose the one that guaranteed me zero money. <laughs> like for my Yeah, 20s. you did. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, so yeah, so I ended up going to theater school out of um, theater school out of um, high school. Did that, and that's crazy. Like that's a like you go into it thinking like it's going to be this fun thing, but it's like it's three years of fucking hell, like <laughs> like just hell and like a mind fuck and like like it's 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 not fun. Like so much so that there's people now going after my teachers from when they, like because they were so manipulative and whatnot. <laughs> going oh after God. like oh, murdering yeah, like, them or no, well murdering their careers. Oh, okay. <laughs> <And everything. laughs> um, but yeah, like. Like they were just assholes, you know, like, like I, I dated a girl throughout high school and like, uh, not high school, uh, theater school. I had a girlfriend in theater school, one of the, one of my classmates and he would make me, there's a play called as you like it, um, <laughs> for you Shakespeare buff out there, uh, there's a play called as you like it, but in the play, there's this fucking pathetic guy, like just this, who's in love with this girl. Right. And in the play, he begs for her and, and he fucking put me and her in this scene together. Right. And it was just a scene for class and whatever. It's an acting exercise. But he'd pull me aside and be like, you know, you don't deserve her, right? What? <laughs> like, you know, you don't deserve her. No. And I'm like, in the play, it's like, no, no, you. Like, you don't deserve her. Right? So there was a lot of that. Like, there was, and I mean, like, when I went to theater school, too, all the teachers were, like, these fucking 70-year-old man, men. Like, they, they were masters of their craft. But, like, you know, there's this fucking British guy. And, like, everything is about sex. Like, everything. Like, it's like, is okay, it what weird? are like that's exactly what I picture when when you say theater school for some reason. All yes, seventy yes, men. Yeah, it's rough. Like it's like okay, well the scene between Macbeth and Macduff. Like when Macbeth is like trying to kill him, uh, what what does he want? And I'm like, well, um, I think that you know there's, there's a revenge aspect. No, he wants to fuck him. He wants to <laughs> fuck his brains out. He wants to just fucking pull him over, tip up the kilt, and fuck him. And. and Every scene was that. Like, regardless, like, look, you're talking about Romeo and Juliet, and he wants to fuck her. All right, fine, you know? <laughs> like, what does Mark sure. Anthony want to do to Julius Caesar's body? He wants to fuck it. <laughs> he wants to stop me. Was Jim her acting teacher? Oh, um, <laughs> this was a time-displaced version of me. <laughs> his name was Victor Knight. He was a 70... I think uh, We didn't even know his age, but his foot was black with gout. Like, what? <laughs> like oh, yeah, didn't he? He was dying in front of us. He once stopped me in the hallway with no context and said, Aaron, come here. If you're ever in a fight, all you need is a bike chain. R wrap that around his gullet, then he'll know who's boss. <laughs> this is Good out of nowhere. <laughs> from Victor Knight. <laughs> He's looking out for you. Yeah. So that's my theater school. And like, you know, like, it, it, you know, you, you do that and it's it's fine. And, you know, you get the skills, but it's it's not applicable until you start doing plays. And then yeah. out of theater school, I got a, a Shakespeare in the Park gig when we had a Montreal Shakespeare. Uh, we had a Montreal Shakespeare in the Park company that toured the states for six months. Mm -hmm. So like I spent most of the year 2000 in like Texas and Wisconsin and just just all over the place. Right. And uh, and out of that, I formed. Uh, a Shakespeare company here and that's that's kind of well it was what I did until COVID was I did I did Shakespeare in schools mm -hmm. and uh yeah we built this really nice business over 20 years wow were uh were your parents like supportive of this uh collegiate choice career choice or was this like a big family <sighs> controversy kind of thing so my mom abandoned me when I was like 15 okay uh, Oh, like not really abandoned. Like she doesn't think it's abandoned, but it was abandoned. Um, and my dad was always supportive. Like he, he was always supportive and, and he'd always come and record all my plays. Like he was into it, you know, like, mm -hmm. but then, then when I was like, 
you know, like I graduated theater school at 20. I worked for like 10 years and it took me 10 years to start making money with my company. Right. Cause mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, yeah. it's basically a startup. And I remember when I was 35, he came up to me and he was like, you ever going to get it? You ever going to, you know, go and get a job? Jeez. And like, I'm, I'm like, but he was so innocent. And I'm like, at this point, like, I'm, I'm making money now. <laughs> it's not like, like now you ask me this. <laughs> and you say a, 35. I mean, yeah, it can't I mean, be that long ago. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, it was six years ago. Uh, but it's like at that point I had two kids. I was supporting them. Like, you know, I was paying my bills. Like it's not, I was, we we're a one income family. Like we're doing okay. <laughs> so yeah, they were okay. They were okay. Were you offended um, by that? No, because I know him. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, no, he was He was just – it was just an ignorant – and when I say ignorant, I don't mean like the bad way. He was just right. – I, I never divulged to him what kind of money I make or mm-hmm. to the government or anything, you know? So it's like <laughs> – right. you know, he, you keep, or to the acting community. You keep that stuff <laughs> low down, you know? Oh, so man. you embezzled all this money. Uh, I didn't embezzle it. I just, you know, <laughs> hit it. <laughs> well, because, just you know, kept it in a secret location. Well, there's well, there's a very there's a very strong feeling in the theater community that nobody should make any more money than anybody else. Oh, yeah. And well, and it's like, you know, at my heart with my company, I'm a capitalist with it. It's like I put in the sacrifice. I work ten years with zero money, right? Anytime I put on a show, I incur all the risk, mm-hmm. right? If the show doesn't yeah. like, I've I've done shows where I've lost. You know, I've done shows where I've lost close to 10 grand, you know, like, you know, like I lose that out of my pocket. So for me, it, it becomes a thing where it's like, well, I, I don't feel bad about making more money than you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually putting in more work, right. Mm-hmm. To begin with, but I incur the risk and it's my company and I put the sacrifice and, um, but that's not a shared view. Hmm. It's I feel a- like that, that view is, is maybe, um, foisted on the community by, um, people who aren't making any money. Um. <laughs> Yeah, sounds right. Well, that, and, was that where it comes from? And jealousy. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's for sure jealousy. Like the if nobody's company, making any money, then it's all very equal, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this tendency to shit on stuff that makes money, which is strange. So mm. the one of the big first shows we did, which was a massive hit here, um, it was called it was called Cobra the Musical. It was mm-hmm. a ge- it was a. <laughs> it was a I was going to ask about this. Yes. Organically. So it, it was about the the villains from G.I. Joe. And <laughs> the, the whole concept was um, they're 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 fuck they're just broke. Like they have no money because they're yeah. always losing every battle. And they, they want to fuck lay, each other. Yeah, they, well that that comes up too, actually. Uh, but um they want they had to they had to lay off Wild Weasel because you know the money's tight. And so they decide to like enter this money-making venture, which is theater. And so they put on a production of Hamlet. And, <laughs> But it all becomes this scheme for like Cobra Commander who has been usurped by Serpentor. He's going to kill him for real in the play. And it's this whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's Destro, this... what's Destro up to? I have to know. Destro, okay. Destro is in a, well, we made it that it's a secret affair with the Baroness. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and, and to spite, Cobra Commander hates Destro. So he casts him as Gertrude mm-hmm. in the play to humiliate him. <laughs> like, uh, okay. So you have to be the mother, and and so he's kind of sneaking around. He has to be the mother, and it's a lot of that. And anyway, regardless of the story, it's completely inappropriate now because we wrote it in 2002. I was 22, um, not sensitive at all to anything or anyone. Uh, uh, we redid it in 2007, and it was better, but still not great. Um, but 
but my point is it, it made money. Like it was really successful. Like we were selling out, like we we're selling out and not only we we're selling out, we we're bringing in, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, please. I hope if you're sure, listening, sure. thinking that, um, it, we, we we're, we we're bringing in people that never went to see theater. Right. Yeah. And if you, if you do theater, like you're always presenting for the same, like, you know, if you get 500 people to come out to a show, it's the same 500 people. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were bringing in people that were G.I. Joe fans or comedy fans or, you know, and, and I mean, some theater people, too. The outrage from the theater community was like, this is not real theater. Because people like, like it and want to see yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, like, I've been the artistic director of my company forever. Right. And artistic director is if, if for those of you who don't know what it is, it's, it's basically just the person who makes the artistic decisions for the company. And the Vince in, McMahon. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> All right, pal. Um, kind of, right? And so, you know, in every theater in Montreal anyway, the English theater, which is small because it's a French city, um, it, it it's all reliance on government support. And so, so no one has a capitalistic view. Everything that's everything that's everything that they do is based around getting government grants. And so there, it doesn't matter if they do well or not because mm-hmm. there's just money there. My, my philosophy has always been like do shows that people want to see. And I had a meeting with all the artistic directors once. I was just at a meeting. I didn't hold it. it I was at this meeting and, and they were like, why aren't people coming to see our shows? And I suggested to them that maybe it's the choice of plays you're doing. And how'd that go? That may, yeah. They were so, they were so angry. Yeah. <laughs> like that's impossible. And I'm like, well, look, when, when Beauty and the Beast comes and does Place des Arts, which is like the big performance venue, like thousands of people see it every night. And it's like, well, though people want to see theater. They just don't want to see your theater, right? <laughs> and like you told them they all sucked and they were bad performers and that was crazy. I tell them they're bad performers. I mean, some of them are. On them for sure. <laughs> some of them are, but like, but like, but it was from a perspective of, it was like, how do we get these people to come see our shows? Mm. And my, my, I was like, well, just go and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Right, like find out they, what they want to see. Stand outside when they leave and hand them a freaking flyer. You know, if you're worried about it. Oh, we can't do that. You know, it's it's this weird kind of. I, I don't know how to describe this. Is scene. it like very just traditional? Like no, no. It's okay. it's they view themselves as uh, supreme artists, mm. and so they they view their work as this transcendent stuff. Like oh. so, uh, here's here's a spite story. Um, I went to go see. <laughs> yeah. I went to go see a production of Macbeth um, that the, a, a local Shakespeare in the Park company did, and like, look, it's Shakespeare in the Park, right? So, who's your audience in Shakespeare in the Park? It's it's uh, families, it's kids. You know, they're coming to see like a, a spectacle, right? Mm-hmm. Potentially so they, some stoners. Yeah, right. Potentially, right? Wandering. Yeah. They do this version of Macbeth. It's in the fucking corporate world. Everyone's in business suits. Mm. Um, the witches in the play are, are transvestite hookers. Like, mm. and it's like, this is just not the fucking venue for it. Mm. Right? Like, it's, it, you want to do that, it's fine. But like, like there's a five-year-old watching a prostitute fillet Macbeth. <laughs> like, <laughs> not necessary. <laughs> like, yeah, they didn't think that through, I don't think. Yeah. Wow. So, we saw this show as a company and got angry and then did it the next summer. <laughs> and it was so successful. <laughs> like, it, might have been our, it might have been our most successful show. And, and we basically, like, we went on the radio and people asked us why we did it. And we just were honest with them. 
<laughs> he said, like, well, we saw a show last year that we hated. Yes. So that didn't go over great either. <laughs> the community. <laughs> Made some waves, perhaps. Made some waves. Uh, well, I'm... I mean, was Shakespeare not a populist? I mean, wasn't he, during his time, kind of regarded as rather trashy and, you know, of, of the common people and not a true artist or whatever? Or is that more urban? Dude. The, the, the nurse in Romeo and Juliet asks Mercutio what time it is, and he says the body hand of the clock is on the prick of noon. There like, you go. That's all you need to know about Shakespeare. <laughs> like, it's it's just sex jokes and, like... Tragedy. Victor Knight was right. It is all about fucking. It is. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't pronounce the, the letter U either. Fuck! It was an A. It was full, full iron chic fuck, but, like, from an old British dying man. And he died like two years ago. <laughs> Jeez. Other guy was a Trinidadian guy. And like the first day of school, old, old again, he's like 75. And he goes, I want to take you to the theater. We're going to tell me to show you how to get to the theater. And he draws this fucking map of how to get to the big theater in town. And he draws it. He takes a long time to draw it too, just so we're safe. <laughs> and then he goes, and he goes, he goes, like how long? I want to say between seven and ten minutes. When, when you're sitting in a class watching <laughs> someone sucks. draw something with chalk, <laughs> it's long. And it's not a, it's not complicated. It's just lines. So, so he, he had to make sure draws... it was the scale. This is this is Canada. We're, we're geography. He got, he got confused about Canada geography. Yeah, he's yep. old. So he draws this map. <laughs> And he's like, he's like, he draws it after this long. He goes, all right, the theater is off the map. It's not even on the fucking map, the theater, right? Like it's <laughs> off the map where he drew, where he drew, he points like down below the chalkboard. And then he circles an area on the map and he goes right here is where the ladies of the night are. <laughs> oh, this is day one of theater school. Is that the whole reason they drew the map? <laughs> I that? guess. I don't know. To make us laugh, this guy would fall asleep in class. He's so old watching us. Like, he'd just be sitting there sleeping. And then, like, at, but then he'd come out with, like, you know, you're, you're a lawyer. You're wearing white socks. I don't believe you. <laughs> That's the note. <laughs> Sorry, I'm wearing my regular clothes. What a legend. Bro. I love that. Uh, he, or, or he would laugh. Like, he would, he would be sleeping and laugh at the appropriate times. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, deep, like, man from the islands laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Right. So, what's your like what's your favorite production that you've what's your favorite production that you've produced? Now now I sound really highbrow. Um through your through your company. Uh, like regardless of did it make success? money, did it lose money, just like just that you enjoyed the most. Okay, so this is actually kind of a fun one. Um my favorite, I always had this dream to do comedy of errors like a rock opera. Oh. So, um, because it's such a cheesy story. So I did, we did Comedy of Errors. We set it in the 1980s. Comedy of Errors is a story of two sets of twins that are separated at birth. And um, so we did it, we did it, and we did it with a full actual rock band. Wow. Like, cool. so like it, it was a, it was a complete musical. So, you know, you, they break into song. It started, the song started with, the show started with any way you want it. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, the character, the, the female character's climax is alone by heart. Um <laughs> Like it was, it was just great. Like it, it was really fun, and I loved it. It did. It, people seem to like it. Mm -hmm. But my my enduring memory of it was, like, we did it in a strange venue, and it's not a very popular place. So we really did it for us, right? 
but it didn't cost that much. Like there were costs, but because we did the kind of scaled down thing with the band, you, we couldn't really have a set. So, you know, the costs were negligible. And we found out at the end of the run, we made 30 bucks. <laughs> Our profit was 30. And me and my partner were like, yeah, like, we were so happy, right? Like it was so stupid. Amazing. We'd, we'd done Macbeth the year before and made like 12 grand, you know, <laughs> but like this one, we made $30 and we're like, yes. But then he reached in his pocket and he's like, what's this? And he found a bill for no. thirty-seven for, for thirty-seven dollars. No, we lost seven dollars. Seven dollars. Oh my god! On this fucking show, uh, it was that such is a, amazing. Yeah, it was sad but funny. Like whatever, I'd pay seven dollars to That's do that show again. Yeah, <laughs> never <laughs> pay seven dollars for the for the pleasure of doing it again. For directing a bunch of right. kids for two months. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you talk about that as, as a, like a rock opera. So there's obviously a, a certain degree of um, adaptation that, that comes into play and modification of, you know, sort of this established, whatever the established kind of source material is. Like, are you primarily the one doing a lot of the, the writing and in connection with uh, these productions or you have like a big team that you're kind of um, in charge of like how, what does that writer's room look like? If there's even like an equivalent of that, it's, it's just me. Okay. It's just me. And so there's two types of things. So when we do shows in schools, uh, when we do Shakespeare in schools, I adapt it completely to modern English because schools hate people. Kids hate Shakespeare. Like, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, part of the appeal of our show is that we come in and they actually really like it. Like they really genuinely love it. So, uh, and I'm not just saying that, like, that's, that's something we've seen. Like I have no problem just taking their money and they hate the show if that's the case, but, (laughs) but, but that's not what happens, which is cool. So, so those are like, I mean, I will take a Shakespeare play. I used to do this thing where I translate every line. Uh, but that didn't, I mean, that lent itself to just not great dialogue. Right. Cause mm-hmm. you know, you're just translating. Okay. Like uh, full of vexation come. I is like, Oh, I'm very angry with you. You know, yes. but you got to kind of put it in. So now like, I'll just, when I'm doing those, I'll just, kind of, I don't really do too much of them anymore because we only have so many plays that schools will actually want to buy. And mm-hmm. I've kind of done most of them by now. So I can just yeah. pull scripts and edit them, which is great. Um, but I'm one of those perfectionists that sometimes has to re- like, I'll start it from scratch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll, I'll rewrite the, sh- uh, the show in modern English. It has to be an hour and a half too. So, so that's that. Now when I'm doing the full stage shows, um, like the, when I told you about comedy of errors, like we used to do a summer series, uh, every summer and those were just full Shakespeare shows. So, I wouldn't write those. I would take Shakespeare's first folio and um, which is his, the first printing of his works. And I would just adapt it, cut it. Um, and like for the, the comedy of errors I was telling you about, all we did was add songs. So it's not like I had to change any of the lines. It's just like, it just became like, I mean, the whole concept of a, of a musical is like the character can't express themselves with words anymore. So they start singing. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so it was just that. It was just kind of placing those in and piecing them out. And I mean, my business partner and I do work closely together. He's a good editor. Like he's a, he, he's good at like, like he'll, he'll tell me if something doesn't work and, you know, sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong, but it's good to have that idea to kind of like that person to bounce off of. But that's the extent of the writing room. Okay. I that's really hope sort of everyone, is, I really hope everyone who's listening is into Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just into the process, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> me too. 
anything on on the other side of it. Um, yeah. And like, I won't I won't fuck with a tragedy as much as I will with a comedy. Like, okay, it, it depends. It depends on the track. Like, like comedies for me, like the Shakespeare comedies, number one, those are the ones that when I'm writing them for schools, I really have to change because it's all sex jokes. Like, <laughs> you know, it's all sex jokes or it's like puns and it just doesn't play anymore, right? Um, so those I can mess around with. Like I've done, we did Taming of the Shrew set in a disco in the 70s. Um, we did Twelfth Night set in the world of Arabian Nights, which enraged one teacher for some reason. Um, wow. She was very upset that we did it. We did a flying carpet scene, and she was very upset, and she found it was very offensive. And it's like, like we're sorry. Like it was just, we're just doing Aladdin. Yeah, we're just doing Aladdin. Like it's all it is. Um, so you know, but then it's in the track. I find the tragedies are harder to do that with. Like mm-hmm. I've played around with Romeo and Juliet a bit, but that's because it's a Romeo and Juliet's kind of. <laughs> they live at the end. <laughs> <laughs> They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. The whole point is gone. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I believe Romeo and Juliet is a, it's like a, it's, I think there's an argument. Here we go into the geek stuff. Um, I, I, the geek stuff on a primarily like wrestling based audience. <laughs> well, yeah. No, this uh, is not uh, no, but, audience. No, it's everybody, I guess. But Romeo and Juliet for me is like, there's an argument to be made. It's his best play because, because it's half comedy. Like mm-hmm. until until the act three, when people start dying, it's a romantic comedy, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it gets bad. But it's actually, to me, it's his most optimistic tragedy. And I know it probably sounds kind of crazy, but like the message I'm left with with Romeo and Juliet is the only thing that can overcome hate is love, which I think is actually kind of a nice profound truth. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still true, right? Mm-hmm. And, and interesting enough with Shakespeare, when, and one of the reasons why I think it's I, I take it as optimistic, it's it's the last tragedy he wrote before his son died. Like his son oh. died when he was eight. Like he lost a child, and like so, like he writes Romeo and Juliet, then the son Romeo and Juliet, Midsummer Night's Dream, then his son dies, and then every play you've ever heard of comes. So I think those are all coming from a really dark, deep place of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved Romeo and Juliet the best, and. I don't think it's because I'm a girl, but I just think, I, like you, I always thought it was oddly how it was supposed to be. Like, you know, like you said, love beats hate or whatever. That's how I always felt about it. Yeah, it, it, and it's, there's a, like, it, it, it's funny that you say it's not because you're a girl, but there is a block with guys with it. But it's, I think it's just because they've never read it. Because it's yeah, very much, yeah. it's very much about guys being guys for the lack of a better word you know well yeah i mean what did you think of the uh the movie version which one uh well the caprio the best one yeah DiCaprio. that's not the that's not the william best. shakespeare's romeo plus juliet yes <laughs> when we put math in the title it becomes better um i loved it i loved it but i really don't like uh dicaprio or danes in the roles oh okay because I, I don't know. I find everybody else really good. And then their text is so my, and if you're interested in the process, see, like I am when you're approaching any text, any text at all. Right. Uh, and it, it, it's especially true with Shakespeare. Right. But like when you speak in real life, you're never monotone. Even if you're, if you think you are, you never are mm-hmm. because everything you say has a certain value. Right. Like mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm listing off a bunch of places I went to today, 
um, each one of them has a different value to me. And, and you, you'll, you, you should be able to pick that up in my voice by it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I always stress to actors is every, every thought is a separate thought. Now, so every thought has to sound different. And I think if you go back and watch um, DiCaprio and Danes in, the, in those roles, I don't think you get that from them. And I think that's, that's a problem considering what the range of the play is. Because Romeo, Romeo's uh, like a depressive at the start, then he gets mm-hmm. super happy, and then, he, and then he falls in love with Juliet and they get married. And, and, and it's such a roller coaster that it can't be one note. Right. So does it feel more like they're just reciting lines to you than than really I don't acting know, them embodying the characters? I think they're struggling with the text. Probably uh, the, so. the text. <laughs> I think that, that because of what the, because of the nature of what film direction is and what that process is, no one's probably going over what their lines mean with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also people psych themselves out with Shakespeare all the time. And it's actually not, it's, it's way less complicated than you think. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, and that's actually like, I'm, I'm directing a show, a production of Macbeth right now. And it, it, my first l- lesson to all of them is just like, you got to get rid of the notion that this is a heightened speech. Cause it's actually not, it's just dialogue that is written l- a long time ago. And mm-hmm. if you follow the punctuation, y- you're going to be okay. So people psych themselves out. And I think that's probably what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and 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 I think too they're the least they're the least um, experienced of everyone in there too. Because mm-hmm. you got like Brian Dennehy, who's a stage actor, is Capulet. You got oh god, what's his name? The dude who plays Mercutio is in Oz and the Matrix. Oh, uh, John Leguizamo. No, that's Tybalt. He's great too. No, that's Tybalt. Yeah. Uh, uh, Harold Perrineau is his name. Yeah, He's yeah, great. yeah. He's you amazing. Know, yeah, like and and those are all experienced people. And also Claire Danes is too old to play the part. Like yes. Juliet's thirteen. Yeah, it's it's and and who else is too old is the lady who plays her mom. And I think that's such an interesting part of the tragedy is that like Juliet's mom is no older than 25. Like because (laughs) well, because she has a line where she's like, I had you before I was your age. Yeah, Mm. yeah. And and she's married to an older man. And and clearly her marriage is not happy Mm -hmm. because because of the text. And so she's trying to marry her daughter off to this guy, Paris. Basically to give her daughter like the life that she didn't have. Like I didn't get to choose. I didn't get to be happy. Mm-hmm. So here's this choice to marry this great young guy who's your age. You're not going to make the same mistake I did. And then when Juliet says no to that, I think that pisses her off. So she kind of lashes out. And then the next thing that happens is Juliet pretends to be – everybody thinks Juliet's dead. Mm-hmm. So she she must like – that must just decimate the mother. Like she – it's also a very yeah. interesting – exploration of guilt how every single person like paris thinks it's his fault lady capulet thinks it's capulet romeo thinks it's his fault they all think it's their fault the only person who doesn't think it's his fault is friar lawrence and it is fucking his fault (laughs) (laughs) it's his fault he could have he could have prevented the whole thing why is he marrying them well he's a romantic yeah but come on now also romantic friar (laughs) right Romeo's almost certainly older than her too. He's probably 16, 17. You know, mm-hmm. oh I didn't expect to go into this in depth in Romeo and Juliet, but I'm happy. Well, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I feel like Shakespeare deals in like, it, it, sure, it's intimidating just in terms of the the language itself, but thematically, it kind of deals in pretty universal 
themes of like the human experience, but you look at Romeo and Juliet and that probably is, is what speaks to maybe a younger audience a lot more directly. Um, when you really, like you say, boil, boil it down to, um, so, so what is this story? Like it's a, it's, it starts out as a romantic comedy that turns into a tragedy and there's kind of almost like soap opera elements to it. And I, I just think any younger audience is going to super respond to that. Um, yeah. And, and that's a, just kind of a good, maybe that's why it works so well. It's probably an entry level sort of Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah. Mm. Do you do yeah. anything other than Shakespeare? I have in the past, but I, you know, because my company is Shakespeare Canada, mm-hmm. I'm kind of pigeonholed into that. <laughs> what, did, what were some of your past non Shakespeare? Um, I did the GI Joe stuff. Um, I did, oh God, I've done a bunch of like, you know, um, plays, you know, regular plays. The last regular play I did that wasn't Shakespeare was a few years ago. It's called Never Swim Alone. It's, it's by a Canadian playwright called Daniel McIver. I was really doing it for a buddy cause he directed a show that I wrote, uh, when I was younger. Um, you know, I, my focus is really that now cause it, you know, it, I, I, again, I don't want to come off like arrogant, but that that's my level of expertise is, right. is there. Right. And I don't know, like, there's a few plays that I really like, but like, I, I just, uh, the, the older I get, the more I don't like the acting world. And I know that's weird because I'm in it, but like, like, it, there's just such a, it's the, it's the community. It's the, it's the real, it's the community. Like when this pandemic happened, I do this other job that uses actors where we train border guards. They use border, they use actors to run simulations with border guards. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, these are, these are all pretty amateur actors for the most part. And to hear them talk about acting, like it's as though it's fucking curing cancer. Like, <laughs> as, like, as actors, we deserve a universal basic income. Like it, it, it's all that. And it's like, no, in the end, what we do is just vanity a lot of the time. Like I've done shows just for vanity. I, I, I would say like the, the first, like the first 12 years of my career, anything I produced was really just to was really just to impress people and I, and and then uh, there's something that clicked in my head and it's also cuz I started making money then um right but like it, that became way secondary like obviously I want people to like my work but like I don't know it, I think it's a mental hurdle you have to get past to actually be good and I feel that like I feel directing and producing got me there as opposed to acting. And I don't know if you can get there just from acting. Mm. Uh, maybe I'm just, so you, maybe I'm just bitter, but I, I don't know. <laughs> you're directing everything too, right? For the most part. Yeah. God. Which well, do I you mean, like better? Yeah. Uh, depends. Like, like, look, my school shows, I'll direct and act in them. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason I do that is because, um, one, I don't have to pay another actor. <laughs> that's that's always good. Mm. Uh, two, most of the roles that I take, I've done before, mm-hmm. so that cuts down. That really cuts down rehearsal time. Mm-hmm. And three, because of the nature of what my company is, I end up working with a lot of younger actors, right? And you know, younger actors are sometimes a bit green around the ears, which is fine. And that's not to say they're not talented, but a lot of times I have to help anchor the show, mm-hmm. right? And so you know, I don't mind that, but it's a lot of work. Um, if I'm just directing, I quite like it. Like, I don't have to worry about it. And I especially don't like being, I especially like being hired to direct. 
like the show I'm doing now, I'm hired to direct it. So what's great about that is I don't have any worries. Like I'm not worried about losing my money, you know, like it's just, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I just got to make the show good and you know, that's it. So, um, so yeah, I'd say directing is probably my most interesting now. I asked about your favorite production. I, I have to ask also, what's, <laughs> what's the worst production you've ever been attached to? <clears throat> okay. So the year after, so we did this summer series, right? And, um, we did it for four years. And we did one in 2002, which was terrible because I was 22 and I decided to try and direct King Lear and I didn't know shit about anything. <laughs> um, but so we did this summer series when I started when I was 31 and the first show we did was Titus Andronicus, which is like a really bloody Shakespeare play, but nobody does it. So that was really fun. Then we did Macbeth and we did Comedy of Errors, which I talked about. Then the next year we did Julius Caesar and see, I, we made a couple of really big errors. Um, <laughs> The first, the first was we were like, well, Julius Caesar's the story of more like um, a tragedy. It's a, yeah, it was a tragedy. Um, so Julius Caesar was the story of is the story of Caesar, obviously. Uh, but Caesar is famous for being part of the first triumvirate of Rome, which was him, Pompey the Great, and uh, what the hell's his name, the money guy, Crassus. And um, and then it ends with the triumvirate, which is Mark Antony, Octavian, and uh, Lepidus, who had no power. Um, so we thought, you know, what would be really interesting for this is if we hired, uh, if I directed it with two other people and we mm. decided to make it a triumvirate of directors. Oh, and, mm. well, oh. <laughs> yeah. So whatever. And then I was going to also, so part of it too, was because one of the other directors is a really good friend of mine. Right. And he had been in my Titus Andronicus and we had never really acted together. So part of the appeal for me was, okay, we'll both direct, we'll both act in it. And the third person we bring in will kind of like make sure we're on track. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it seemed like a decent plan. And then him and I worked really well together. Like we, we worked super well together. And, you know, like to this day, we're, we're great friends, you know. But the third person we brought in was an older woman. And it was her first time directing anything. So we really brought her in as like, you know what? Maybe this is something you'd want to do. This is something maybe you can, you'd, you'd like to learn, you know, how to do it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And this woman came in like she fucking knew everything. Like, and it, mm. it was such a problem. Like, so, you know, we're working with younger actors and any time that you audition anybody, you, you'll, you'll, you'll see your, your ratio of men to women is like 80-20. Like 80% women, 20% men. Okay. And this, this can be pro- – this is just – there's just more girls that, that go into theater. Like my theater school class – well, mine, mine was a bit of an exception. But there are theater school classes of 20 people where there's four guys, and that's normal, right? Um, and it's great. They're <laughs> all gay. I mean. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some of them are. I had never met a gay person until I went to theater school. Like, or I probably had, but no one was out, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I had. Um, but all that to say, the ratio is very is very limited. So we were casting women as Roman senators because, you know, it's just what the who we have. And it mm-hmm. whatever, if you treat it as a convention, the audience will believe it, right? Mm-hmm. And this woman the whole time was like, well, a Roman senator wouldn't cross their legs. And like, <laughs> like arguing in rehearsal about this. And it's like, well, a Roman senator wouldn't be a woman. So like... <laughs> Like, as soon as we've done that, all bets are off. And there was one part where, like, I grabbed – I was playing Cassius. My buddy was playing Brutus. And I grabbed his hand. Like, we're really – like, in the play, we're good friends. A Roman man would never grab a, a man's hand like that. I'm like, you're not – I understand you're old. You were around in ancient Rome. <laughs> like, you don't know. 
So she was just causing chaos. And like, to the point where, like, to the point where, like, we had this thing to do. So my business partner was a stage manager. And he, he's, a, he's a, a professional drummer, right? This becomes important because we're doing this thing with, with uh, tempo, right? We're trying to get people to speak in tempo, right? Mm -hmm. And he's sitting at the desk, you know, like doing the tempo, right? Okay. Like for them to hear. And fucking she starts going, no, no, no. It's like she's telling the fucking drummer. <laughs> and they're both hitting the desk at the same time. And it, it's just this weird, this weird power struggle. So we're dealing with her. On top of which, I have this fucking actor in the show. I, I, I like, I've never, I've never dealt with any. Because look, we're in these shows too. We're like, let's cast as many people as possible, and if they're not great, we'll give them small roles, right? So this Fair guy enough. comes in. This guy comes in, and like, it's it's a scene with I with me. He's acting with me, and he comes in, and um, we start doing the scene, and he stops me. He's like, I'll have to ask you something. And like, you know, don't stop the scene. But anyway, and I'm like, well, what is it? And he goes, okay, well, you're talking about these tents that are off in the distance. What color are they? And I'm like, I don't know, green. <laughs> and he goes, I thought they were red. I'm like, okay, fine, red. <laughs> like, they're not on stage. Like, they're not on stage. Why are we it? arguing about these uh, imaginary tents? This is what we're stopping the scene. Yeah, do whatever you want. Think whatever you want. He goes, can we? He goes, can we agree that they're red? I'm like, sure, whatever. He goes, that's not gonna mess you up. Nope, I'm good. <laughs> fine. Like, he was trolling you, surely. No, hold on. So no, he wasn't because then we do the scene again. He stops. He stops again, and he's like, "What's the terrain like here?" Jesus. I'm like, I'm like, what? rocky. He goes, how does that feel on your feet? I go, I don't know. Go outside and walk up some rocks. I'm answering this question. I'm trying. Like, it's my death scene, too. Like, I'm dying in this scene. So this happened, right? And, like, then time passes. And, like, you know, he's not doing well. And he comes up to me. And he's like, I don't understand what's happening. You know, I don't understand why I'm not getting it. I'm like, well, it's because you're focusing on all the wrong shit, right? All you need to focus on is what your character wants, what they're doing to get what they want. And that's it. And we have this fucking 25 minute talk about this. And he's like, okay, I get it. I get it. Next time we do the scene, he comes on, he's fucking coughing, like coughing like crazy. I stop the scene. I'm like, what are you doing? Cause I'm angry at this point. I go, what are you doing? He goes, he goes, I imagine there's dust everywhere. I'm like, there's no fucking dust. <laughs> what? And then, then like after the end of the scene, he fucking just lays down on the floor. And we're like, are you okay? He goes, he goes, yeah, I'm just exhausted from my imagination. Um, it, it, hold on. It continues. So about a week after this, I get a phone call from him. It's 930 at night. Hey, can we talk about something? I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I, I'm getting lost. He goes, how do I, um, how do I act surprised? And I'm like, what? <laughs> just like that. He goes, he goes, yeah, cause I know here's the, the problem is I know what's going to happen in the script, but my, my character doesn't. Well, uh, yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually acting. That's all it is. That's how that just, works. Yeah. He goes, how do I do that? I'm like, well, just imagine. He's like, imagine. Yes. I'm like, yeah, just imagine. He's like, okay, I'll do that. I'm like, whatever. Day of the oh, show. Day of the show. I considered that he had a crush on you. No, no. Oh, he, oh no, very distracted. No. No, he was not. He weird, fucking weird ass guy to begin with. We're yeah. in the fuck. We're in the theater for the first time, and like, and we're all at the back, and we're like, all right, everybody, come up stage, which means like closer to the audience, right? 
from the back of the theater, he I hear him say, "What the hell does upstage mean?" Oh my gosh! We've been using this language for two months. <laughs> Night of the uh, show. I mean, does he have a brain injury or something? <laughs> uh, he might. Uh, the night of the show. So I die kind of right near the audience, and Brutus comes and puts like this laurel wreath on my head, like to honor me, right? And what happens is the lights go. Bl- He's with me, this fucking moron. As I die, I have to look at him every night. His, his dead eyes when I'm trying to die. <laughs> right? So. You know, the lights go out on us. I take the laurel off. I put it on the stage because we need it for later. Like, I just hide it on the stage. And I, you know, I run out past the audience because the, the, the entrance kind of goes past the audience. So, you know, it, it happens. I take the laurel off. I place it in the place it has to go. I start running off. He's running with me. I see him turn back. I'm like, what is he fucking doing? He turns back. He sneaks on as the lights are coming off and grabs the fucking laurel. He goes, Why? you forgot this. He goes, you forgot this on stage. I'm like, <laughs> We need it. We need it. So I have to fucking sneak, be, like literally beside the audience, and flip, like frisbee it. Position. <laughs> I'm so angry. I'm about to go off on this guy. We're running backstage because we have to go backstage for the next. I think it's the curtain call. And he grabs me by the shoulder and he says, "Hey man, I just want to thank you. I, I can't tell you how much I love this process, and I, I appreciate you so much. And I just felt like such an asshole, but I was so angry." <laughs> so angry i'm sorry he's the asshole here oh yeah so much so that he's like where should i go to theater school (laughs) and my business partner's like uh toronto just leave town (laughs) (laughs) he just wanted him out of town you should probably not go to theater school is there any chance he's doing some kind of like andy kaufman bit where he thinks he's like some kind of elevated basically what's today just trolling but you know I don't think so. And and he wasn't even the worst part of the show. Like there was all this other bullshit too. He lost a ton of money, but like that was the worst. Julius Caesar. Was wow. Supposed to be cool. It was fun. I, I liked acting in it. <laughs> you you went high concept and it it like totally bit you in the ass. Fuck me. Don't hire an old woman to <laughs> join your crew. Wow. Oh wow. All right. I this woman upset me so much that her daughter worked with us for years. Like, that's how we knew her. Her daughter worked with us. Her daughter had a baby, and the daughter looks like the mother, and I just can't. I can't be around the baby. It looks too much like the old... It has the same face as the old woman. Now, that's Spike right there. The baby. <laughs> it really is an old woman face on the baby. <laughs> oh, shit. That could be a play in and of itself, I feel like. Yes, I think this is, this is material for your writing. Can't wait. <laughs> what do you get inspired by to like make shit up and twist Shakespeare around? Well, now it's money. Uh, <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I, I talked with this with a therapist once, and she seemed to be really pushing the idea that I did Shakespeare because it was the most difficult, mm. and that was like a that certain. True? I don't know. Um, I, it makes sense. It really makes sense. Like, but I don't know. Like, it, well, you I chose did... acting, which was the most difficult out of your choices, probably. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know why. I don't even know why I chose acting. Like, it, I just kind of fell into it because I, I, I was. I well, it started want... as spite, you said. So, yes. spite. Right. I mean, I, I can see a connection between spite and this is the most difficult, therefore. 
I'm gonna I kill it. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just basically gonna kill it and shut all these people down who are acting like they are God's gift to the community because I'm just gonna sail through it effortlessly, kind of thing. Which is maybe an element of spite uh, behind that too. So like, I spent so much of my early career so jealous and angry mm. like and and it just wasn't healthy and it took a long time to get rid of that like even in theater school i was jealous and angry and i think it's it, it limited me to like friendships i could have had or um just being a better person you know um and and i think f getting rid of that was like such a an important transition period of my life like, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm out to prove anything or mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just doing my job. Um, and, well, and you're the master of it, like you said. Well, so. let's, I didn't There's, say master. <laughs> you did. I'm pretty sure master of my craft is what you said. No, I said I have an expertise. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I would never say master. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like. That makes sense that it's a challenge that needed to be overcome. And, and now it's just what I do. And there's I don't a lot know. of bad therapists out there, too. I mean, it could have. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, see, I am. Like, there's no way that, because you said, like, I just fell into it, whatever. And then, but I mean, obviously, there has to be something that you viscerally love about it um, to continue. What well, are the things that you love? <laughs> um, well, now it's all about family. You know, like the, all that matters to me now is my family. Like I have three sons and uh, my wife who I love and, and I, you know, it, I, it's changed because, you know, like there was a time when I was acting where it was like, oh yeah, let's, let's go across Canada for three months and do a tour mm -hmm. in a purple bus and, you know, drive 24 hours straight. You know, there was a time where we did that, right? Um, now everything I do is to gain more time mm -hmm. with my family. Right. Which is especially which is which is why uh, this this pandemic is so difficult in a lot of ways, because it's changed. Uh, like I achieved that way of life where like the company became a it, it became a it used to be an all encompassing job. Right. Because mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, from from age 20 to 32, I mean, I ran the company, I acted and I worked a Joe job. Right. I, I would work, I, I worked selling electronics. I, I worked in a gym as a personal trainer. You know, like I did a bunch of things. So I was working like, you know, like 80, 90 hours a week, every week. And, mm -hmm. and then when, when the company started making money, there was this freedom that came with it. Like it, it, it was great. Like I, I just had time to, to, to enjoy life. And that's my driving factor now. And, and I'll be honest, I think I'm transitioning out of it. Like, mm. uh, like I, I mean, so dealing with schools is a difficult thing. Like mm. it, it, it's, you know, there's the old, there's good years and there's bad years, but there's just so much out of your control. Like, and I don't even mean COVID. Like, I mean, sometimes like, there's years where the teachers go on strike and we're like, oh, fuck. Like, mm -hmm. like, is this it? You know? And one year there was a woman who sued the Quebec government because she didn't want to pay school fees. I don't know if you guys have school fees, but like, um, is that a laugh because you don't have them or you do? <laughs> I mean, there's fees for everything, but I mean, I don't pay for public school. Right. Like, so we were, they, parents were charged like 90 bucks for the year kind of thing. Oh, okay. And that covered like Kleenex in class. Uh, that covered 
Um, like, you know, just things that they, and, and some schools actually worked us into those fees, but oh, we just make the teachers buy all that shit. Oh yeah. 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 Well, well, what that lawsuit ended up happening is it became, we can't ask parents for any money if it's educational. Oh, Jesus. And so for years, our whole thing was like, no, no, we're educational. Oh. <laughs> That's why you should bring us in. Mm. But now it's like, you can ask the parents to pay for a trip to the amusement park, but you can't ask them to pay for a theater ticket for us, which I mean, is, is trash. Man. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're not even expensive, you know, like we're probably yeah. the cheapest thing you could do, but they're not allowed. So when that happened in 2019, in 2000, late 2018, 2018 was a weird year for me because the dad died and like, it, it, it was just a, a real big, I, we bought our house, the big transition year. Um, and I, there was just, it, we, that, that had just passed. And I was like, oh, how's this going to affect us? So I went back to school in 2018 and um, I went back to school in psychology and I just, I actually just graduated. Like, Congratulations. You know, Congrats. I'm, had no idea. On, I'm waiting on my diploma because I, I started to really believe. So like when, so I, I mean, when I was, when I was in my early thirties, I went to go see a therapist because, because I didn't want to become my dad. I was really worried I was going to become my dad with my kids. Right. Um, when I went, my, my son was like one and, you know, I just wanted to, I didn't feel like I was going, yeah, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to treat your kids the way your parents treated you if they treated you badly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I'd go, I went to go see a therapist for that. And, you know, we ended up talking a lot about other shit instead. And, you know, it was, it was good. And then in 2018, my dad died and I wrote my therapist basically like, Hey, can we meet? <laughs> I might have some stuff to work out here. Mm. Um, and, uh, she never got back to me. She like ghosted me. What? Yeah. Now I hadn't seen her in a couple years, mm. but still, you know, yeah. At, at the very least an email of like, Hey, I'm not taking anyone. Here's some recommendations. So I ended up finding a different one who she was talking about healing at a cellular level, which I thought was kind of hokey and mumbo jumbo ish and whatnot. Mm. But then we worked together and, and, and it really, it really changed my life. Like it, it really cleansed me of, of all these things that I was carrying. Um, and maybe some of it's psychosomatic, maybe she was great too, but it, it, what it really did is it really made me believe in the process of healing and that, that started really speaking to me. And I think that's kind of the, the path I'm on now. Uh, I, I'm kind of aiming towards that. And in the meantime, I'm kind of just kind of scurrying and doing what I can. Um, but I think that's where I'm headed. So does that mean that you want to open a practice or how does that work? I think so. I mean, I still have to do grad school. Mm -hmm. So I graduated with a bachelor's because uh, mm -hmm. I never went to college. I went to theater school, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is kind of college, but not really. <laughs> um, I mean, I got, I got graded on a lot that. of those credits. Value college. A lot of those credits don't transfer is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, they accepted them, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I still got to go to grad school, but yeah, I think that's the end game is to, to have a practice where I can either do it online or just to be more independent. Also, I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think the way out of a lot of the problems that we're having now is just to be financially solvent. Mm -hmm. And I think it's where I need to get. And I think that's what, this is where I'm going to, how I'm going to get there. I think the company would have gotten there. Um, and, and it's good. I started before this cause COVID like ravaged the company. Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah. You know, we'll see what happens, but when when COVID hit, we lost a hundred shows, Ugh. and that's like that's Ugh. a lot of cash. It's yeah. <laughs> a lot of money. Um, 
So yeah, I think I'm on that path and I'll see. And in the meantime, what's cool is with these studies, I'm able to actually kind of, I, you know, I don't want to say I'd ever, I was ever a psychologist or anything, but a lot of my focus in, in acting was about the psychology of the characters and, and, and how to dig deep into them and stuff like that. And, and now that I've, uh, that I'm kind of studying it too, I'm, I'm kind of approaching it all from a, a very different perspective. Like I'm giving, been giving workshops in schools about Macbeth and Macbeth is the story of like a good person who's seduced uh, into doing something horrible and then ends up being more miserable as a, as a consequence. Mm. And, and I think it's actually a really interesting, like when you study it in school, it's very much about, uh, they talk to you about ambition. It's about absolute power. And, and, and the more I study it, the more I realize it's, it's really about fear and what fear, what fear does to you and what fear will make you do. So I've noticed it a lot just in how we're living together now that like everybody's afraid of everybody else Mm -hmm. and it's making us treat people in a way that's really frightening. Like I I really think it's frightening that we're, we're at a point where we're we're kind of dehumanizing each other over fear. And I think the message, the the more I delve into Macbeth, who's a good person becomes a bad person. The message is an ambition. The message is actually like, no, no, that's you. Like, like you're that person. You you're in the right circumstance. You're the horrible person murdering people. Mm-hmm. In the right circumstance, you're the the Nazi guard in World War II. Like we want to think that we're above it, but we're not. Like, and we're such creatures of context. And I think that's really a deep, profound truth. And and, and, and I really creatures think that, like of circumstance, perhaps. Yeah, like exactly. And, and I think that the, you know. Understanding that about ourselves, I think, I think will help us move forward from this. It's interesting that you're talking about this because I've actually been having some of these same thoughts recently about like 10 years ago when I was a young mother, you know, I was a very different person Mm. and I'm like, what all happened to me in between now and then? And like, when I think about it, I can see like, I could see me making this choice and like it wasn't great. So I just tried to work with it. And then every other choice is the same exact thing as that. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you mean by all, this choice? Like, I don't mean like, the, I just mean like um, the compromises. Yeah, compromises. Right. So it's like I, I tried to be, um, make everybody else happy. Right. Mm. It's like, keep it all even, keep everybody balanced. Um, and, but I was, I was giving little pieces of myself away to do that. Right. So to, to keep that. And then I'm like replacing it with other things that I don't necessarily might want or need. Um, but it's how, like you said, it's that fear of upsetting the balance. And so you do things that at the time, you're like, okay, <laughs> maybe this is what I got to do, but maybe not. <laughs> well, we're, we're afraid of the unknown. I mean, it's, it's such a cliche to be afraid of the unknown, right? But, like, the unknown is actually quite exciting in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the way we live our best lives is actually, like, like maybe, like, most of our body in order and at, and, and at the tip of our toe in chaos. So that we... Yeah. So that we're, we're kind of like, we have this plan that we're following, but there's a, there's a sense of us that's a bit wild. And, and there, there's, there's a, there's the, un, it, we can, we can look at the unknown 
And if we can accept it a little bit and, and, and maybe put a bit more of that foot in, I think our worldview becomes drastically different. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Like it, it's bad if you dive in. Like, I mean, like if you, if you have a, a partner that's like, I mean, the, the classic example is if you have like a, a, a husband or a wife or a partner that cheats on you, um, which I've had, uh, not my wife now, but like you're kind of plunged into chaos because your whole worldview is, is fucked, right? You're like, oh, everything I thought I believed about this person is, is wrong, right? But, and, and, but when you pull yourself out of it, but, and allow yourself to, to, to just explore that chaos. I think it gives us a more full life and it gives us more perspective of, of, mm -hmm. of who we are. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and it allows us to take risks and, and to be ourselves, you know, just a toe above chaos. Uh, yeah. Just dip it in, just dip it in a little just bit. Dip it in. Yeah. Don't fall in, just dip it in. What if you prefer the chaos? Well, then it's fine. <laughs> that it, but, but, but there's an interesting thing, right? Like not everybody has to live the same life. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you you don't know what you prefer until you dip it in, right? Like you you try and maybe you say, "Ooh, yeah, this is chaos. This is why I I, I stay a, a foot above it or whatever." But mm -hmm. um, maybe you dip that that toe that foot in, and you say, "Oh, it's not so mm -hmm. bad." It's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It's just different from my experience. Yeah, but then you're a Nazi. <laughs> well, if you're a Nazi, then, hey, I can't help you there. You know what I mean? but... have, either, have either of you watched The Man in the High Castle? Yes, the first season. So, as the seasons went on, I found myself really, I mean, I think it's the way the, show's, the show is um, designed. Like, I was starting to feel for the Nazi character quite a yes. bit. Yes, And And it's like... You know, when you explore who you are, like, and, and, and try to learn more about yourself, it helps you kind of uh, understand others, I feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing is we're missing is we're, we're missing, we're missing a ton of empathy, right? And I think it's because we view ourselves as these altruistic people that would never resort to that. But as I was watching that show, I was like, oh, no, no, I would make those choices too. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> given the same mm -hmm. situation to keep my family alive and whatnot. I understand how we get to these increments and how we, we, it makes sense how we get there. And, but the thing is, is that understanding that and understanding that about yourself allows you then to have empathy for others. Like, I don't really get angry when someone is petrified and screaming at me now. Like, I think I understand where they're coming from. There's parts of it that bothers me, but like, I, to me, the whole thing with the pandemic, that's the worst part of it. Like it's, it, to, for me, it's not the virus. It's not the government bullshit that's happening in Canada or Quebec specifically, it's none of that. It's how we're treating each other. I was in a Walmart with my family not too long ago and we bought our stuff and then there's a McDonald's in the Walmart. So they went to go get ice cream and they went to get ice cream. I went to the, I went to the bathroom, right? I went to the bathroom and I went to meet them. And as I go into the McDonald's, this woman behind the McDonald's just starts screaming at me, like just screaming at me. And I'm like, what? Well, I, and I'm like, what? I don't know. Like, it, it's the woman who works there. I'm like, what do you want? And she's screaming, wash your, wash your hands, wash your hands. Like the little pump things, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then oh. when I hear her, I go, I go, I, you know what? I was just in the bathroom. I just washed them. Mm -hmm. She's like, wash your hands. She's just screaming at me. So I take a step out and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. But she's still eyeballing me from behind the counter, <laughs> right? So I'm like, look, if you just asked me nicely, I would have just done it. But like, this is ridiculous. 
and we're far away. And then my wife starts telling there. Everybody's like in this kind of big triangle. and We're all talking. All of a sudden, this fucking woman comes out from the aisle. Right. She's like, listen, she goes, is this a customer? She's like, listen to me. My brother's a police officer. And if you don't wash your hands, I'm going to call him right now to come and arrest. You. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's like, this is what we've come to. Like, you're so scared of me right now that like in Quebec anyway, like, the, 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 you know, I, I'm all for caution. Right. But like there's caution and there's fear. Right. Right. Like, I mean, like in Quebec at any given moment, there's a thousand cases of COVID. Right. Mm -hmm. That's in a population of eight million. So like, look, I'm cautious of it. But the chance of me actually bumping into someone with it is statistically low. Right. So there's no need to be petrified of everybody. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think we also kind of we look at the most extreme cases and, and the most egregious neg negligence that is out there and you see that and it, it just kind of sets a bad it sets such a bad example and puts such a bad taste in your mouth that you sort of ascribe it to everyone it's like like what everyone would do if they're not letter of the law adhering to every little thing perfectly right all of a sudden it's it's either you're right down the middle doing this like completely buttoned up or you're a fucking psychopath trying to infect everyone around you kind of right. thing. Like, and it's, we just sort of lose that. I don't know. Humanity. <laughs> that is the reality of just ordinary interaction because we don't have it anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's stripped away. And to your point about just the dehumanizing effect of all of this, it just sort of, I think it further strips away that, that empathy that we were already pretty lacking to begin with. Not great at. Yeah. Yeah. Not great at in the first place. And now it's just sort of, I, I feel like it's just been totally stripped out. And, um, it, that's going to be like a major that's a major psychological reckoning and recovery that, that needs to take place well beyond just the, okay, we're all vaccinated. Okay. We don't have to wear masks anymore. Okay. We, you know, don't have capacity limits and COVID isn't really a thing. Like there's mm -hmm. going to be major, major lingering. Oh yeah. Social psychological, like it's just like a collective trauma. I think yep. that everybody's going to be carrying. Yeah. Now I influence do, this stuff. I do think like, and I'm not saying this as an anti-mask thing, cause I don't want to get into that, but like, I do think the removal of the masks will in a lot of ways help that because I do I think, think it has that to. It's, yeah. it, it's easier to dehumanize someone when you can't see their face. Mm -hmm. Right. Like yeah. when yeah. everyone's just this weird uniform with no face, it's very easy to be like, I'm going to call the cops on you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Use the what cops. Did you as do? A I told her to call the cops. Yeah. And she, I called her bluff and then she just, she stormed off. But like, like, you know, like there's, if her brother was a cop, if that was even true, like there's no way he, if he, he would accept. No. You know what I mean? Like, like it was like, bitch, weird, leave me alone. It was such a weird bludgeon, you know, like fuck off. You know, like I'm, I'm just, I'm actually just talking to this woman. I'm not yelling at her. We're far away. So we're speaking loud, but like. This is a strange confrontation we're having <laughs> like that you don't need to insert yourself into. Exactly. And then I saw her in the parking lot and like, I don't know, I feel like my kids are a real like stabilizer for me because they were with me 
right? Mm-hmm. And my wife was with me. I'm if if they weren't there, I probably would have been very different with her. Like I don't know. Like maybe I would have let it go. I like to think I'm behind it, but I, I don't know. Maybe I would have been a dick. Like when I was at the gym, if someone abused me, I was a dick. Because the people at the gym, like when I worked at a gym, they would treat you like shit, like just like shit. Like, I mean, we have so much snow here in the winter, right? And like we had a rule in the gym, just please take your boots off when you come in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't fucking trape snow all over the weights, you know, like or the treadmills. And the arguments we would have is insane. Like, no, I'm not taking them off. Why? Why? It, it, I pay to be here. I'm like, okay, but you're damaging everything. But like. In the time, I'd be like, okay, well, let me just, can I just check something with you? Is your address still uh, 123 Green Street? Yeah? Yeah, good, good. Uh, your credit card number is still 45. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like, I'd like to think I'm past that, but there's still a part of me that wants to be that guy, you know? <laughs> like when I, drove I, had a, I had a similar thing. I mean, kind of. I mean, I was playing blackjack at the casino, and the pit boss was, I was cursing. It was four in the morning. You? And... <laughs> I, was, I mean, I'm playing cards like I'm, you know, energetic and animated. Anyway, I was just cursing a lot, and then every time I would curse, she would yell at me. And I, ma'am, you know, please, ma'am, <laughs> just all stern. And like the please, the please is the best. <laughs> please, <laughs> this is what I've told. And and I just backed I down. Yeah. I backed down, you know. And I'm the more I sat there, and so I'm like, what the fuck can I say? What I want in this casino? And so I would like say stuff, and then I'd be like, "Sorry, <laughs> sorry." Uh, was it a rule? Was it a, was it written anywhere or like anywhere? I mean, it's a casino. What the fuck? At four in the morning, I just stop, yeah. ma'am, ma'am, please, 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 please. I guess I'm used to fight. Like I, I tell you, the border guard thing. I'm used to just fighting with them, like because I play the asshole at the border, <laughs> and so like like whenever they tell me anything, it's like, nope. I'm not doing that. And so, like, I think that's kind of bled into my life a little bit. <laughs> like, no, I won't take my hands out of my pockets. No. <laughs> you just want to be defiant. Is what it yes. Is. Those days are so exhausting when I spend my days yelling at them. Like, I spent a day yelling at them the other day, and it's like, oh, God. <laughs> Buddy, and I'm just so tired. I'm that angry guy. <laughs> I want to yell at somebody all day. That'd be fun. Uh, it's actually, it, you'd think, you'd think, you would think, until you realize how tiring it is. Yeah. Like, I spent. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah like you, you know, you you you're just tearing them apart. You're seeing them cry, like they they, they get so upset because the way the border works here is that a lot of not anymore, but they used to they used to hire people, then send them to training. Like they'd hire them, they'd work in the field for a year, then they'd send them to get trained. But if they failed their training, they lost their job. That seems very very not great. Yeah, and Quite I mean backwards. it's also like, well, it's also guarding the border. You'd think yeah. that like. Why go in the field for a year and then train? That makes sense. I know. So they're I mean, so high Canadian strong. border guards. Oh, Canada. Not to be an asshole, but like it doesn't seem like that important of a job. But also, <laughs> I mean, also it is a job. Like, like it is something that you figure you need some kind of. Um, I don't know skills. <laughs> they're always. It's funny the Canadian because like, I cross the border. I crossed the border quite often. Um, the Canadian ones are always the assholes. The American ones are always super friendly. I don't know why that is, but yeah. is it training with you that turns them into assholes? Well, I have been, I have been, uh, recognized and it's never been good. (laughs) Like there was one where I got there and the whole time he's eyeballing me and really uncomfortable. Like, and it was, it was getting to be a tense interaction. I was doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. 
And then he's like, I don't know where I know you from, but like, and it, like he could just tell he was uneasy. Mm-hmm. And like, I used to wear a bandana a lot when I trained them. And uh, my wife's like, he's the bandana guy. And he's like, oh, like, I just felt him like, just get so angry. He let us go. At least. <laughs> like, I fucking hate you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun enough job, I guess. So you've got, um, you said three, they're all boys. Yes. Would you um, encourage or be supportive of, of them if they wanted to pursue a career in the arts? Yeah. I got I think so. I mean, uh, how could I not be? You, right? you wouldn't feel the mounting anger and want to <laughs> yell at them. Um, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do, right? Like, I, I can't. Yeah. And if, if I stand in the way of anything they want to do, they're just going to do it, right? Um, I don't see it right now. Like, but who knows? I wouldn't have seen mm-hmm. it myself when I was their age. Um, if they want to do that, that's fine. I'll try to help them as best as I can. Um, I, there, there's things I wouldn't want them to do. Like, like they have a friend that's a, um, that like does movies now. He's like a nine year old does films and movies now. And this kid, this kid is a monster. <laughs> like, like a, like a, like a, like a child a actor monster. What do you mean? I know. And it's not even a famous child kid. director monster, <laughs> <laughs> but like this kid, like, I mean, like punches his dad in front of, a, you know what I mean? Like oh. it's, he's just this, he's just this shit little kid, you know, like, wow. Just and a he, shitty kid. Huh? Just a shitty kid. And like I feel bad for the kid because I don't think it's his fault. Like his mother's crazy and like and and then he's in this world where like if you're doing films and stuff, you're treated like a king, you know? No matter what you do. I did one TV show when I was twenty two and like I was treated like a king and I was like, you know, a featured player on this fucking bullshit MTV show, you know? Like it's not like you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not Mark Ruffalo in the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Um, um, so yeah, so you are always angry. <laughs> that is true. I'm, I'm very often angry. I mean, I don't want to let anybody, I don't want to blow the gimmick or anything. <laughs> yeah. I don't think your gimmick's intact. Good. My gimmick, my gimmick, I hope is strange. It is. <laughs> that's, that's yes. my angle. Oh, definitely. <laughs> strange. <laughs> I'm trying to think who said this quote. It's, it's not an exact quote, but it's basically, you can freely disagree. Um, <laughs> something along the lines of you should only pursue a career professionally in, in the arts. If you cannot stand to do literally anything else, <laughs> if, if it makes you, if any other job in the world, just you're either not good at, you don't have the aptitude, like it makes you want to die. You should, he may have just been talking about writing to be honest with you because right it was basically trying to get the point across i'm trying to remember the creator and i keep wanting to say joss whedon and i know it's not joss whedon but just trying to get the point across that this is so difficult and you're so unlikely to make like a decent living at it that you should only do it if there's if, if there's no other options for you yeah yeah Would you I, agree that's with actually, this? yeah to a degree i I mean, I don't know if it goes that far because I probably could have stood doing other things, but I think, I think, I think it's safe to say that you can't go into it unless you love what you're doing. Like, I think that's like kind of the tamer version of it, but I think that's actually the more realistic version of it. Because like when I went to theater school, like my days were like, I'd start every day at 10 in the morning, which is good. You know, that's not too early, but then I'm finishing every night at 11 
Mm. every day for three years, you know, like you're doing everything and, you know, you're not getting paid for that time. You're paying to be at the school. They're, they're abusing your labor left and right, but you're learning. So, you know, for me, it didn't bother me. And then, man, you get out of that school and you got nothing. Now you're, you're faced with constant rejection and, and, you know, like, so you got to do what you love. Like it, it, it's, and, and when I talk to kids, students about it, that's the first thing I tell them when they ask, like, do you have any advice about going into acting? It's like, yeah, you got to love it. Because if you don't love it, you won't, you won't be successful, right? Yeah. And that's something I've always kind of struggled with with it. Because I don't know if I love it anymore. Or if I ever did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I said you're kind of rounding that corner, maybe transitioning well, out. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I kind of got that vibe from you. Like, Yeah, like... It's like you're really good at it and you do it well and you like it, but you know, you just fell into it for spite. So, <laughs> well, look, there's, there's moments, there's moments where it's the most magical thing in the world. You know, like there's moments where I'm on stage and if I have the audience, like in a comedy, they're laughing and like, I've got them, you know, and like every line is popping and moving and, you know, that's a really like you hear wrestlers talk about it all the time how like the, the crowd is the addictive part but it's very true mm-hmm. you know um and then you know there's times when you're in a when you're when you're doing like a, a serious piece and it just it, it locks in and it becomes real like and like it, it's it's beautiful like it's it's really this beautiful thing mm-hmm. so no matter what i think those moments will always exist right it's, it's, I start to think that it's not a worthy profession, mm. like that it's not adding anything. And, and I know that's not really necessarily true because if you're affecting someone enough that you're making them laugh and you know, you might've, you might change their day and their day might mm. change, but I don't know, like it doesn't feel big picture enough. And, I, and that's what I'm reconciling. So it's like, did I ever love it is, is what I, what I struggle with. Did it, was there ever a point where I was completely in love with everything about it? Because I, I, I never liked the world. Right. Yeah. And it, and it probably stemmed a lot from how bitter and jealous I was in theater school. Mm-hmm. Right. I never had, I see a lot of duos and trios, you know, like people who meet in theater school and they become like creative partners and they, and they work and, you know, uh, and, and I never, I never had that. I never had that connection with someone on that level. I have a business partner who I'm really close with, but he's a business person. Mm-hmm. Now, that was obviously to my benefit right? like, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of running a company, right? Like, right. you know, that's a reason why our company makes money. But, you know, it, it, became a, it became a money-driven business as opposed to a passion-driven business. And once you've done the things that you're truly passionate about, like in this industry, like – like when we try to pick a play every year now, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll do that one. Sure. You know, like in the past it was like, okay, we're going to do this and I'm going to do it this way. And, you know, maybe, maybe I was more in love with it then. Like even the show I'm directing now, I had carte blanche to, I could have directed any Shakespeare play. Like it was like, okay, come direct something for us. And, and it's like, okay, well, there's not a lot of time. Let's do Macbeth. Cause I know it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think once you've kind of accomplished, I think there's something really interesting about accomplishing your life goals too. Like mm. one of my life goals was always to own a home, like mm-hmm. to, to buy a home for my family. 
right? And I did it. And I remember sitting on the front porch the day we bought, the day we moved in and thinking like, number one, I never thought I'd get here <laughs> because I'm in the arts, right? Like, and, and you spend so much time just scraping and clawing and not knowing and, you know, and then, and then I'm here and I'm like, okay, what's next? This- he thought you'd be working towards it a lot longer. And, well, well and I, 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 yeah, like, I hope not. Like I didn't want, you know, like, I didn't want to be living in apartments and tiny apartments till I was like 50 and my kids were all grown, you know, but like, yeah, yeah. But like, I started asking what's next mm-hmm. and I didn't know, like I, I, there wasn't a goal. It wasn't like, all right, I can't wait to do this. It was mm-hmm. all right. Well, this is life now. And that's a strange feeling and it's not a bad feeling. It's just a, and I don't even say it's complacent. It's just, I think we need goals as people, mm-hmm. right? And I, I don't know how to feel about it, you know? Probably well, pretty. you just did another goal by getting your bachelor's degree, so. That's right. There that's you right. go. Going back to school at 39 was a. Yeah. That I is a choice. You, I can't tell you how many lectures I had on consent. Mm. Like, oh, wow. Like I, an absurd amount. And like, I'm doing this in my basement online. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take a class at a Montreal university for like, just kind of like to, to beef up what I was doing for applications. And I had to take a mandatory sexual violence seminar. It's like a two hour seminar. And I get, I, like, I get it, but like, sounds like a party. Yeah. Yeah. Like I get it. But like, again, I'm in my basement. <laughs> I don't want to say, I'm, not to say that like a person who's married with kids isn't going to commit sexual violence. Cause you know, I'm sure it's mm-hmm. like, for sure it happens, but like, I'm not going. <laughs> it just paints a grim picture. You and your basement by yourself in a sexual violence uh, lecture. Kind of and I mean, look, I jerked off through all of it, right? Seriously <laughs> <laughs> right. masturbating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, it was so weird. Like, what I was seeing too was like, you know, like it was so like, you know, the, you know, the violence that it picked. Like, I just kept coming. I was just coming, <laughs> coming, over, coming, over. I mean, wow. and I couldn't stop. That was a good day. Yeah, I didn't want to take the seminar, but when I was done, like I was really, I mean, I was really chafed, but like when in Rome, I mean, <laughs> when, in Rome. <laughs> when in Rome, uh, uh, Greg Weissman is who I was thinking of. He, um, he's a guy who created talk about creatures, uh, gargoyles, which is oh, yeah, basically, um, uh, Shakespeare with mythical creatures, <laughs> right. For those familiar with that, which is appropriate enough, maybe subconsciously it made me think of them and and him, the creator, Greg Weisman, Weisman. I don't know how to say it. Anyway, that was um, who I was thinking of, and wow, we've uh, kept you for quite a length of time, Aaron George. Yeah, yeah you had a hard out. Um, so well, I gotta get up early. Yeah. yeah, but now I'm awake. Now you've woken me up <laughs> with existential questions about. I know. What am I going like, to do next? Yeah. yeah. I hope this was. I hope people. I hope this is okay. Like I mean, this was like, more than okay. No, it was amazing. Like <laughs> yeah. I I mean I've always been sort of like um. <laughs> I I like going to plays. I like artsy shit, you know. But I I never um had any talent in acting or anything. But <laughs> I liked. <laughs> I like to riff with people like you. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I've always loved improv and stuff like that, watching it. And I think it's interesting and fun. And I'm like Tim. I like knowing the process and I like hearing stories and 
Yeah, I, I definitely similar. I, I like to admire it sort of from a distance, <laughs> like not so much <laughs> participate, but but um, be be a um, observer. I'm I'm into. I, but I was always like longing, you know, like I wish I could do that, you know, and just never a thing well, you that could. I could. Uh, you well, could. I mean, like, well, we, if only I had a, a Victor Knight to teach me. It's in the fucking his character is in the fucking text. It's in the text. Well, look, this this is why we do the the Place Be Nation Christmas plays. I mean, that's exactly right. Yes. Satisfy our creative creative needs. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, that fucking writing set. Like, I, those are like, those are. It takes like ninety to hundred hours to write that. Shit. I believe you. <laughs> I can believe it. I mean, it, it's I fully believe that. And like the last two have fallen like right when I'm doing exams. Oh my God. So it's like, oh fuck, oh. I gotta get this done, and like I'm always just like, oh, I've... and like it's always like this last one we did where we we're writing like everybody was playing like I mean people were playing like you were playing Lord Alfred Hayes and Jenny you're playing Sensational Sherry, so mm. you're playing characters, so it's like whatever I can write those characters, but the other ones we did where we're we're writing like I'm writing lines for Greg Phillips who I've yeah, never yeah, met, so you know what I mean? Like, exactly like I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, and then. And then, like, then, you know, every so often you get people, like, people get upset about what was written. It's like, well, I'm, oh, yeah. I, I don't know you. And I'm not saying that was Greg. Um, but, like, I, I you know, I, I'm not trying to upset anybody. I'm, I'm actually trying to give everybody something good to do. Mm-hmm. I remember well, one year. Sometimes people would have to drop off, too, or, or drop out at the last minute for whatever reason. And then you'd have to just sub somebody else in. And it's like, oh, all these lines are supposed to be for <laughs> somebody you know, else. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. Like, and I'm reading Matt Rotella and like, uh, <laughs> like, you know, I write him in a way so that it trips him up. <laughs> like, oh, it's not the same when I'm doing it. I know what the line is. Like exactly. one year, one year we had a guy write and say, I want to be the villain. Like, I want to be the villain of the piece. So I fucking made him the villain of the piece. Right. Like I was like, okay, I'll make you the villain. And then I think the next year he was like, look, I, I just don't appreciate being the villain again. <laughs> I was like, but you, you asked me to be the villain. <laughs> you wrote it too well. Now everybody hates me. <laughs> you asked. I didn't. Okay. I don't care. Yeah. The, the, the dropping out at the last minute is like, oh God, like, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't feel like it's weird. Like, you know, it's just a fun play we do. Like, I really, I really just do it for JT, you know, like, and everybody, but like, you know, it's clearly something that he appreciates and people seem to like doing. So that's why I do it. But by the end, I'm just as invested in it as I am, like, one of my plays. I'm like, no, no, right. no, it has to, you no don't, you can't drop out now. Like, I've, I've spent 30 hours writing your character. Like, <laughs> like, it's always so flippant to, like, oh, I can't make it, sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, oh I, I can't do this scene because this character says this. Like, come on. <laughs> you drive a stake through Aaron's heart. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the one. And Justin. Yeah. yeah, right? The worst is when I've specifically written, I never, I would never care really, but when I specifically write something a certain way and then someone starts improvising and whatever, you can improvise, but then say at least what I wrote too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some effort went into this. <laughs> this is not a guideline. These, This is a script. Yeah, right? Like, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> like, oh, this is well, cool though. I, I really like talking to you guys. Like, I mean, Jenny, you know I love you and Tim, like, if I spent more time with you, I'm sure I'd love you too. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it's, you know it's, like... it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> have such little time together. I, I understand. <laughs> Is there anything you want to plug before we go? No, 
Just check the North-South connection. I'm there. All my stuff's there. I spent so much time talking about it on the other shows. Um, you know, if you thought I was at all entertaining at all in any way, check it out. But Or if you just want to talk Shakespeare, hit me up. <laughs> yeah. There you For go. real, yeah. Tons of Shakespeare fans here. They're... Okay. What about you, Tim? Uh, just follow me on social media to the extent that I participate. I am at Psych68, C-Y-K-E-6-8 on Twitter. Uh, here on the Jenny position, the other show I do with you, Jenny, and with the aforementioned JT and Scott, Scott Criscolo is, uh, the journey through infinity mm-hmm. Marvel cinematic universe reviews going chronologically through that we're more than halfway through. So eventually we're going to be, have to be looking for a new podcast. Won't we Jenny? Oh my goodness. Whatever will we do? Mm, I don't know. They keep making these movies, but I mean, we're going to, we're going to get to the end of the line sooner or later. You guys should keep acting as though you don't already have a plan. <laughs> right. Honestly, the way that we record, we might never make it through. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I don't think we're in any danger there. Uh, check out great content also on the Place Be Nation Pop Experience, where I have some presence over there, and on Place Be Nation Wrestling also. Um, and then, you know, rounding out the quad is the north-south connection where you can find all Aaron's stuff so yeah we just uh brought it home look at that what about you jenny so uh you can follow me on twitter at jenny position and i have a facebook page too i like reviews so um you can leave one there any of the of the podcatcher apps that would be great real quick i just wanted to say that i'm still looking for new shows um if anybody has show ideas I will be happy to talk to you. Um, shoot me a DM on any of those um, platforms and we can talk about it. Um, but for right now, you can hear... Wrestling, um, not so much, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always forget to say Well, I kind of, on this show, I don't think about the wrestling as much. But anyway. Yeah. Hope, preferably not <laughs> wrestling content. But, um... Which is fine. It's just not. Where it we goes. hate it. No, we hate all. We hate all wrestling content. We don't listen to it. We don't do it. We don't want to hear about it. Garbage. So save it. Trash. Um, thank you so much, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Yeah. It was really a pleasure. Thank you, man. 